This episode was brought to you by our Patreon supporters, Amy Swan, Blake Popst, Greg Bench, Joel Robertson, Jonathan Edge, and Trey Whetstone. Thank you all. Now on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, the father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Sun, and welcome to a discussion about the world's greatest EpiPen advertisement in the world. <laughs> That's the truth. Oh, we are a spoiler podcast. We spoil the movies we discuss, and today we are continuing our dysfunctional horror family festivities for this Thanksgiving by looking at Hereditary from 2018. <laughs> Sorry, baby grandma. You know you were her favorite. Who's going to take care of me when you die? She isn't gone. You know you were her favorite. I swear. I can feel them in the room. You know you were her favorite, right? Something is happening. I think my mother put a curse on us. Mom? I need to call the police. The police can't help us. Mom? You know you were her favorite, right? Hereditary in theaters this Friday. Come on, Peter. Yes, you're suing. So, uh, this may be the shortest IMDb synopsis we've ever had, Jackson, uh, and the least helpful. Um, <clears throat> the IMDb synopsis reads A grieving family is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences. It's not incorrect, it is technically true. But does that tell you anything more about that? I mean, no. no. Yeah. It might as well say some bad stuff happens to these people. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. So if you haven't seen it, it is currently streaming on Amazon Prime, both in uh, HD and, and in 4K. I rewatched the 4K uh, today. So let's jump into the plot. So we have Annie, played by Tony Collette, who is an artist who does miniatures, and she has lost her mother after a long illness and a long period of estrangement the family consists of annie and her husband steve played by gabriel byrne and a son peter played by alex wolf and charlie played by <clears throat> millie shapiro who was disturbingly close to her grandmother and has a dangerous nut allergy i never thought i'd say a line like that but anyway <laughs> We begin to learn that Granny was part of a pagan cult with a pretty sick plan to embody the demon, god, hell king, whatever you want to call him, Paimon. And along the way, Charlie is decapitated in a bizarre quote-unquote accident while Peter is trying to get her to the hospital because <sighs> no one in this family ever carries an EpiPen. Right? Yeah. Yeah, stupid. Absolutely stupid. I thought after the first line where they're like, I don't have her EpiPen. I thought, oh, okay, well, they do have it somewhere. Nope, it doesn't seem like they have an EpiPen anywhere, which seems like it would be your first priority if your kid has a nut allergy. 
Well, yeah, because nut out, I mean, nuts are so prevalent, right? You can't go into a convenience store, gas station, restaurant. Where can you go without an EpiPen if you have a severe nut allergy? I don't know. And and uh, and apparently the mom thought that a party would be a good a good place for her to go without an EpiPen. Oh. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of that is kind of a uh, y- you can start blaming the family for the tragic events before they even take place. because There was some serious under planning and oversight going on here. Absolutely. So it then goes completely bonkers at the end with some kind of strange fire, decapitation, levitation and geriatric nudity um yeah i mean i wouldn't put that on the poster but i guess you i guess you are correct that that is that is very visible on screen oh so what did you think of the plot and the screenplay by mr ari aster it is it's listen okay i I just want to say this right out of the gate people call this a slow burn uh and hereditary it is over two hours in length but at this point in my life, I don't really consider this movie a slow burn because something is always happening. You know, Charlie dies in the first act. There's immense amounts of palpable tension between the family in the second. And then crap really hits the fan in the third act. So there's really no, like, stretches of pure ambience like there is in The Witch or Bone Tomahawk. I can understand why people would, you know, call those slow burns, but not hereditary for me. It's way more thrilling. Um, I think the plot is... A really good idea. I like the take on the cult thing where you don't even know it's a cult movie until the third act. I think that's a a cool idea. Um, And I like the fact that not everything is explained. A lot of visual storytelling in that scrapbook. Um, And we kind of get bits and pieces. Um, It seems like Annie knows more than we as an audience know. She's trying to explain it to the dad, but it's kind of coming out in bits and pieces. She's so hysterical. So we don't know everything. Uh, about the backstory, about this payment cult, but we know enough to be horrified that this has been meticulously planned for years now. All these events are being orchestrated by the cult, and that makes it even more disturbing. Now, the oh, one it, thing- it, maybe even more than years, maybe decade over a decade and a half, because you know you remember that line uh, where Tony Collette is speaking, and she says that you know that heartbreaking scene where she's talking to Peter in the bedroom. You know, and she says, I didn't even want to have you. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the, the and yeah, they were says it was her mother who pressured her. Mm-hmm. So this has been going on for some time. Right. And and unfortunately for the cult, fortunately for Peter, well, up until this point, uh, his mother didn't allow him to be in close cahoots with uh, her mom because if if that had been given a chance, I'm pretty sure that Payman would have been inhabiting Peter's body a lot sooner. Um, but instead, they had to do child numero uno, Charlie, who was a female, uh, which is not what Payman preferred. Uh, which is, that's one of the more on-the-nose parts of the movie, I think, when she's flipping through the, the demonology book and she sees, Payman prefers a male body. And I was like, oh, okay. First time I saw it, that immediately clicked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but... But yeah, that so there is there's lots of layers to this. You can analyze this movie to death. There are a few things which I don't quite understand. I'm sure there's an explanation for it on like a Reddit thread or something. Uh, but I'm, I can ask you about those as we work our way through the movie. But um, yeah, it is a very smart movie. It's got lots of layers. It reminds me a lot of something that like um, an Eggers movie would be. It reminds me a lot of The Witch or The Lighthouse and that you're not given all the information you need. Um, there's lots of backstory that you're not caught up on. You don't know the characters that well. You kind of meet them at an odd time in their life. 
but that gets us to bond with them quicker because the time when we meet when we meet them is the worst time in their life. We get to see their true colors really quickly, which I find really interesting. Right. Which, and we we can kind of pepper this in all together, but. You know, what I appreciate about Ari Aster, and I see this in Jordan Peele's work as well, is you can see how meticulously planned everything was. In fact, um, I read today that Ari Aster gave his cinematographer 75 pages of notes on shots. I don't doubt it. Yeah, he, he is a very, he's an auteur. I mean, I think we're seeing an auteur. We, we live in an age where it's really easy to see these auteurs before they become auteurs. Because, you know, back in, back before the internet, you, you had to catch up on all these people's movies to recognize their greatness. But we can see them as they come out one by one this time. Um, and yeah, I, I was reading the prime trivia on the side of the screen. And one of the things that they said that was really interesting was that um, Ari Aster has 10 feature-length scripts written, yes. and he wants to release them. He's only made two features so far, but he has eight more, which is ridiculous that anybody would have eight feature film scripts at any given time. Uh, I guess he's just waiting on the right time to make them. But um, and, and just you have to be meticulous. When he made these two movies back-to-back, Hereditary and Midsummer, and he literally went from one production to the other to flying yep. out across the world to the other. Um, so... You, you know that he had all this planned years years uh, ahead of time. And another thing that was really interesting to me while I was reading through the trivia is that before uh, Hereditary went into production, he had been networking in, in Hollywood, in L.A., just getting to know people that would help him on movies, building this, like, web of collaborators. Yep. So he's basically got an army in Hollywood that will help him make these 10 feature films, and he's not going to stop at anything. Right, yeah, exactly, yeah, he... Is like the cinematographer, uh, and he went to uh, graduate school at AFI together, and yeah, they. But what I love is like so. For example, and I of course didn't notice this the first time that I watched the movie, rewatching it. And by the way, I never thought I would rewatch this movie. Um, and I was telling Megan today, and she watched it with me largely. But I, I said, you know, I said, man, I don't want to rewatch this movie. And she said, why? I said, oh, it's brilliant. But it's just a downer. I mean, it's just, you know, it's not, it, you don't, I mean, let's put it this way. Um, if you're on antidepressants, Hereditary is probably not the movie you want to go to. No. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, go to like The Final Girls or something if you're a horror fan who wants to watch, you know, go to Cabin in the Woods or something. I don't know, but something other than this. Um, but so what I, you know, her, didn't notice then heard about and then definitely noticed this time. How many times do we see Payman's symbol scattered throughout the movie? Oh, it's everywhere. And if you look hard enough, you can see cult members everywhere, too, hiding in plain mm-hmm. sight, uh, which is ridiculous. It, it, they just comp- it completely passes over you because you're so invested in the characters, our main characters, that we're not right. really paying attention to the world around them. Um, and there are a lot of layers. I haven't fully dissected it. I've tried to stay away from like conspiracy threads and everything, people analyzing the movie, because I feel like that takes a little bit of the mystique away. I kind of want to discover that on my own, maybe be hinted at something from like a YouTube video or something, then watch it for myself and, and finally get it. Um, 
But yeah, there there are lots of layers to to dissect. On this viewing, I I wouldn't say I necessarily noticed any more details that I didn't see before on my first viewing. Uh, but I will say that I delved more deeply into the lore and had more questions about the lore, whereas before I just blindly accepted it because I was so horrified by what I was seeing. I couldn't, it took, it, like, this time around I knew what to expect, so I was focusing more on the movie itself rather than the story. Whereas mm-hmm. the first time I watched it, I was so invested in the story, I was just like, yeah, this, lo- this movie looks great, and the score is great, and the editing is great, but what is going to happen to this family? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, the um, original cut of this movie was over three hours long. I believe it. Yeah. Uh, Ari, and you mentioned that he's written 10 screenplays. Goodness sakes, how long are all those screenplays? I yeah. did read um, that his next movie that he's planning, uh, that's either in production or pre-production, one or the other, that he plans the director's cut to be five hours gosh yeah it's gonna be rough i mean i'll sit through it but it's gonna be rough i I know that we were getting uncomfortable watching uh midsummer and that was only like two some hours it wasn't that long but five hours man that is going to be difficult yeah i think this cut of midsummer that you and i saw was like two hours and 45 minutes maybe Mm -hmm. something like that um and there were periods in that movie where i kind of drifted off and looked at my watch that now when he goes there he makes up for it um I did really like the movie, but there are periods where I thought, you know, you know, at some point, Ari, hour 45, maybe, you know, <laughs> yeah. maybe shoot for it, maybe just tighten it up just a little bit. Um, yeah, and Midsummer is what I would call a slow burn. I don't, like I said, I don't consider this a slow burn. I think it's a psychological thriller. It's a great horror movie, but I don't think it's slow because something's always happening. Something is developing in the story at all times. Whereas with Midsummer, it really like immerses you in in the setting and the like background psychological horror. You really have to ponder on what the horror is. Whereas in this movie, it's front and center. Right, right. Yeah. It all comes together at the end and makes you it's one of those movies where you get to the end, you you kind of get it and then you want to go back and kind of. And here's my thing. I just wanted to replay it in my head. I didn't want to rewatch it, but I um, because let's just go ahead and talk about it. One of the most, I think now, just two years in this movie is just a little over two years old. Let's talk about the fact that um, one of the most infamous death scenes mm-hmm. in the first act. What did you think of uh, Charlie meets the telephone pole? <laughs> That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, uh, yeah I, it, I mean, it's so during the scene itself where it's actually happening. Uh, it's so fast paced and it's so thrilling and dramatic that you can't brace yourself for it. It's like a roller coaster. With a, with with a a roller coaster, once you that first hill, you're expecting it. You're expecting the horror, right? You're getting over it. But then mm-hmm. that second hill, you're going up it so fast that when you drop over the second one, you're you're you don't even have time to catch up. I feel like that's how it is with this kill, where it's so thrilling, it's so um so horrifying that when she is actually killed, when you hear that thump and her head yeah. hits the light post, you're still. Your heart is still beating, right? But the entire scene is silent after that. So all you can hear is your heart beating and, and your your breath. Uh, I think that's really brilliant. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty disturbing in the scene, but I think where it really hits you is afterwards. Uh, the scene where Tony Collette oh. reacts to the aftermath, and we get the insert shot, which we don't see. We just work, you know. You know, Ari does this tight shot of of Peter, mm-hmm. and we're just hearing his mother discover the headless body in the Volvo. Yeah, yeah. That that and that was the way to do it. I think if you showed us a model of the body it would have been less impactful than we get that. That's a great scene of Peter just kind of emotionally traumatized with that zoom into his face. But then later, whenever Annie is talking to Joan and she's talking about finding the body, that so perfectly illustrated the scene in my mind that, and I don't think any visual medium could have done that for me. I think it would have sold it short, but the way that Annie describes finding the body and what it looked like later to Joan, that's the most effective way of doing it. So yeah, I agree. Ari Aster, you know, his, his horror is a very unconventional one, but it's very effective. And I really respect that. Yeah. And then uh, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but along those lines, how disturbing is it? That, of course, Annie is an artist. She does miniatures. And she does her daughter's own death. Yep. Yeah, that that was the point where I was like, okay, Annie's lost it. Uh, when Gabriel Burns comes up into her workspace, and by the way, I just want to say really quick, he's my favorite character. The dad is my favorite character. Because you just feel really? so bad. Yeah, he doesn't, because he hasn't seen any of the any of the supernatural stuff. So to, so to him, it just seems like Annie has just, lost her mom. He just lost. thinks White has gone crazy. Yeah. And I, I don't blame him. She has gone crazy. Just for not, not out of the blue. Like he thinks she has. Um, yeah. So when, when he comes up into that and he sees it and he's like, you're not going to let Peter see that. And he's like, why not? She's, she's, she says, why not? Why, you know, I'm not painting Peter in a bad light. Yes, you are, Annie. Oh. At that point, I was like, okay, she, she's definitely lost it. And an interesting way to read this movie is in the, uh, the counseling scene where she's sitting in uh, basically this recovery group, and she's talking about her family and all the tragedies in her family, and she's talking about this, the history of mental illness. Yeah, I, I feel like an interesting way to read this movie is that Annie is suffering from some sort of mental illness and she's kind of gone off the deep end after the, these events. Yes, there are supernatural things happening, and I think they are really happening. I don't think they're delusions because Peter sees them too. Right. Um, but I do think that the reason that she goes so off the edge and violent can, compared to Peter, who just kind of feels helpless, is, is that it's triggered some sort of mental illness in her. And that, that definitely, knowing that and seeing the beginning of the movie, it definitely paints her in a different light, like she's a ticking time bomb. Um, but yeah. Well, it's, so, the, it's the whole thing is that, you know, and I can name a, you know, a lot of movies where this takes place. There's a, a little off topic, but there's a uh, movie called True Believer from the late 80s with James Woods and Robert Downey Jr. where he's playing a defense attorney and he's trying to get a case reopened and he has to put a schizophrenic on the stand mm-hmm. and the schizophrenic keeps saying, that's not the killer. That's not the ethnicity of, of the killer. And we find out spoiler alert for true believer. The schizophrenic was right. He he's not mentally stable, but that doesn't mean he's incorrect. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have with Annie, right? Yeah. 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 So that's the, and that, that's an interest. Yeah. So 
I've heard people say this is all in her head. This is all she's in some kind of fugue state or whatever, and she's imagining all of this. I don't think that's true because we see Peter react to this. He is a totally separate entity, and obviously he's affected by it. And I know that Peter, he's got to have some sort of PTSD after what happened. Oh, uh, of course, because he drives home and just and goes into shock. Right, right. So, of course, the point, the case could be made that he's also seeing the same things. But I feel like uh, she is definitely experiencing supernatural things. She is just taking it harder than most people because of her situation. And, um, yeah, and I think that's how the cult orchestrated it. They knew exactly how Annie would react. Um, So, yeah, it's just horrifying, (laughs) traumatizing. This movie is not a fun watch. Uh, it is nope. a it is a really cool movie. Just the fact that a a horror movie can be so technically marvelous. Um, I, I think if this wasn't a horror movie, this would this would have swept the Oscars. I mean, legitimately. Think think about the categories. Think about the things that won the Oscars the year that this came out. Oh, probably, I know. For probably for soundtrack, it was some war movie, and for cinematography, it was like a a, a thriller about an affair or something. This, this, if this was not a horror movie, this would have swept the Oscars. Um, and Tony Collette was robbed. Of course, we all know that. She gives an amazing performance. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that it's, it's such a, it's, such, it's just a, this movie is great, guys. This movie is great, <laughs> but it's hard, it's hard to talk about because, because, you don't want to share it with people. You don't know where they're at with their horror watching experience. You don't want to traumatize somebody and turn them away because this is a really hard watch, especially if you have family trauma of your own. I, if, if you know somebody who has lost a family member, definitely do not show them this movie. This will, this will definitely make them. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like I said earlier, if you know somebody who has depression, this is not the movie for them. Uh, just it, if if you aren't comfortable with yourself and where and where you are in life and where you are with your family, this is not going to be the movie for you because it is very traumatizing. It, it is, but it's also really entertaining. It's not one of those things where it feels like a drag. Like you're like, oh, I don't want to watch this. This is just like I'm watching this just to watch this because people have told me I'm supposed to. If you watch this movie and go in with an open mind, you will enjoy it because the technical aspects are so superb and the acting is amazing. It feels so real. Well, it's engaging from beginning right. to end. I, I, but now, but one thing I want to bring up before we go ahead and talk about the cast is that obviously Annie's mom, Queen Leia, yeah. um, like I said, she's been planning this for some time, not just what I, what I failed to bring up, not just that she was pushing Annie to have babies. Um, and then so she has Peter, but, you know, Annie doesn't really allow her to have much interaction with Peter, but she tries to make up when she has Charlie, her daughter. And so you've got the grandmother who's now favorite is Charlie, but Payman wants a man. But then when she's in, when Annie is in the support group, she mentions that she had a brother who committed suicide, claiming that his mother was always trying to put something in him. Yeah, very disturbing. Um, yeah, definitely. And I feel like I've heard that in a movie, maybe I've seen recently, where it was a similar type of thing. Where it's, oh, I know what I'm thinking of. Uh, the Thing at the Doorstep by H.P. Lovecraft. Very ah. similar concept. Have you read that? Not in a long time, not since college. 
there's a part in that story, and I wonder if this was an inspiration now that I'm thinking about it. When you just said that, it triggered something in me. Um, in the thing at the doorstep, if you'll remember, if you if you haven't read, this isn't much of a spoiler. This this book is like like over a hundred years old. Uh, maybe not. Maybe a hundred exactly. But uh, this guy is being possessed basically by his wife, who's actually her father. And one of the one of the most famous lines from that book is that they're trying to put people in me. You know, it's inhabiting my body. My body is not my own. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if that was an influence. But yeah, that, that is very disturbing. Knowing that past, you once you piece it together, once you have the context that she is this cult leader and that she is obsessed with having payment and inhabit a body because he will give riches and, and influence to whoever helps him achieve that, uh, then it, it puts that in a whole another context. And of course, Annie is willing to say, oh, it's just mental illness. And uh, my father who starved himself to death is just just mental illness. But there is something going on here that is supernatural. And it's well, very- you wonder if he starved himself to death, not just because of the mental illness, because he didn't trust Leia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and one of the things that I've seen people say is, OK, if the dad killed himself and the brother killed himself, Peter jumps out of a of a window at the end. I don't think he could get up that quickly after that fall. Um, some of say he said he's dead. I'm not sure he's dead. But if he is dead and he was possessed by Payman, why didn't uh, Payman uh, possess the brother and the father when they died? That's my question. I haven't been able to to explain that, other than he, maybe Peter didn't die when he fell out of the window. No, I think he did die. I think that the logic of the film is this payment possesses people like at the end he possesses tony collette Mm -hmm. right and that for some reason in order to free a soul or to free payment from the body they have to be decapitated right oh i see okay yeah so he has somehow been freed from uh it's gone from charlie to her sketchbook to Annie, and then Annie decapitates herself, and then both Charlie and Payman are free to possess Peter. Hmm. Because it's a so, cohabitation. Leia wanted Charlie's soul, but knew that Payman wanted a male's body. And obviously, he wants a young male body, not Steve, not the father. Right, right. And, he and wants a young male body. And Joan calls uh, calls Peter Charlie at the end. So it is both Charlie and Payman in the same body. And he, he clicks his tongue. Right. And you'll remember that when he injured himself at school before he starts banging his head against a, a desk. I'm all for head banging, but not like that. <laughs> um, you'll notice that right before that, what caused that was Joan was across the street going, I cast you out, Peter. Yeah. I cast out, Peter. She was kind of exercising his soul from his body. Mm. And you see him kind of contort and click his tongue and trying to free it for Charlie to enter. And then finally, at the end, the possessions are complete. Right. So you have Peter's body and you have Charlie's soul, but you also have payment and control and kind of possessing both. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that um, that. Leia, or the leader of the cult, when her husband starved herself himself, Payman didn't want that body because it was not only starved and, and disheveled, it was old. 
he wanted Correct. a young okay i get it and and probably if the son hung himself his body wasn't what payman would have wanted either okay i see so so peters was just far more healthy than the other ones i got you Correct. um yeah and that's an interesting concept i was w- wondering why joan calls peter uh charlie at the end and why he clicks his, his tongue but i guess charlie and payman had been together they were just like they were kind of they were kind of one and the same it seems like because i guess payman was in her body since since her being a baby because um uh annie's mother actually breastfed charlie meaning that she had some influence over when she was little so that that's interesting that they've kind of more well it's it, spiritual it, being whether it was breastfeeding or not she said she, i you know that the grandmother always had to feed her and that's what led me back to the her um Tony Collette's father starving himself. Well, what is she feeding her? Oh, oh my gosh, that's awesome! I love the more that we delve deeply into this lore, the more, more, more interesting. Yeah, I have to ask you before we move into the cast. One thing about the lore, I don't, I don't get. So, actually, it's just two things. The blue light. What do you? What, what is the blue light in your opinion? The, the blue the... light is is the spirit, and that's okay. and that comes from if you uh, watch enough ghost hunting shows, which I used to until I got sick of them. Because I got sick of, oh, it's cold here, so therefore, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe it's just a draft, dude. Um, but it, 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 they, yeah, they claim to see blue lights. Interesting, and I like the way that is that is visualized in the movie. I like that idea. That it looks really cool, like the blue waves going across things. That's cool. Yeah. And, and one I, of the few effects that wasn't um, purely practical, because some of it was CGI, but yeah, Ari Aster had a standing order with his effects team. You will do everything you possibly can to make sure everything is as practical as it can be. Which is ex- exactly how it can be. If, unless you can't do it physically, that's, that's when you use CGI. Well, or you and enhance that's, the physical effect with CGI. And that's so you get the, you get like the smoke ring going down the high school hallway. That's CGI, right. you know, but... Like even, for example, the effects team said the most difficult thing to do was the writing on the chalkboard. Yes, I remember that. Louis. That was a magnet inside the piece of chalk and mm-hmm. somebody standing behind the chalkboard guiding the piece of chalk. It was a magnet. That's really cool. Isn't that cool to put like yeah. put metal in the chalk and have a high powered magnet behind it and kind of controlling the chalk? Yeah, it was. Yeah, they they tried to do everything they could to make it practical. So they were writing in reverse. Then the guy under the table yes. with the magnet. They had man, that must have been challenging. Oh yeah, I'm sure. But yep, yeah, but it but it was practical. So that's one thing about the lore that has now been answered for me. So it's the spirit of payment, I guess, moving yes. freely. And then the book, um, Charlie's sketchbook. I'm wondering why it mirrors Annie when she throws it into the fire. Why are they linked? Why why are Annie and the well, book linked? I'm not so sure. That's what Annie thinks. I'm not mm-hmm. so sure that she's she's right. I think that the book is. Um, I think that the, the spirits of Charlie and and Payman are partially in that book, mm-hmm. and then they're freed. Because not only does Steve catch fire, but immediately Annie's face changes. Right. Oh, I didn't think about that. They were okay. war- they were warning Annie not to destroy the book until it was time. Then Steve was no longer in a use. Mm-hmm. But now they need Annie's body and they need her to carry it and decapitate herself so that then they can enter Peter. <laughs> I think this is a more complex plot than Inception. 
Oh right yeah, there. it is. And it, it doesn't present itself as that. You nope. don't you don't hear on the poster for Hereditary this mind bending thriller. Instead, it's just presented as a family with a really tragic couple of days. And I think that's what it is. But it also functions as a very complex story, and that that does add a lot to rewatch value. If you are interested in rewatching it, which this is only my second time seeing it. Uh, all the way through. I did start to watch it with my cousin, and he did not enjoy it. But uh, he saw The Lighthouse, so I thought maybe he would like Hereditary. Anyways, um, yeah, this is my my second time watching it all the way through. I don't know how quickly you can rewatch it. Uh, you know, it's one of the things where I feel like you can really only watch it once a year. Because mm-hmm. if you watch it too much, it might it might have a negative effect on your psyche. And I know I'm building it up like, oh, it's this hugely... And I feel like it's what they did with like The Exorcist back in the 70s. But I feel like this one is more disturbing than The Exorcist, just purely emotionally. Because there's so much, so much more... Tr- there's so many more traumatizing visuals and thoughts behind it than just pr- purely the Reagan being possessed in The Exorcist. Um, but well, and there are no, and they're not really that many jump scares. Ari Oster's not a fan of jump right. scares. It's yeah, much more about dread. There are jump scares, but they're not accompanied by sound, so they're not a, they're not a traditional jump scare. There are scares that come out of the blue, like when Peter is in his room and uh, Annie is crawling in the wall behind him, and she crawls by really quick. If that was accompanied by a bum, that would have been a jump scare. But right. it took the more distinguished and like more subtle scare and just had it be silent which i think is creepier um and when you do have sound used for scares it's very quiet and subtle and looming like in the scene where they're doing the uh ritual to try to summon uh charlie it's an open seance uh when they all join hands and peter hears creaking from behind them that would be just as scary as a dun you know what i mean it's yep um so i think that was really clever and i just want to say as far as the plot goes, this is a movie where the bad guys win, and it actually feels deserved. Like, I feel like the movie deserved it. It wasn't a cheap out. The bad guys win, and I think that's awesome. Well, you would like to see uh, the family succeed and exercise the demon and get back to normal. Oh, and look, Charlie's back for some reason. That's not going to happen. That's not the kind of movie this is. And I think Ari Aster has proved that he's not, uh, he's not above killing off everyone you hold dear and 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 leaving you emotionally scarred so i i think that's actually an awesome aspect of this i know people complain that by the end of the movie nobody is alive peter is mm-hmm. dead he's just being inhabited by payment charlie is dead annie is dead everyone is dead except for joan and the and the cult members which is terrifying but it had to be that way i couldn't see it any other way oh no just like like uh say the original wicker man yes Yes, the Wicker Man, uh, like something like The Descent, maybe. Um, well, it's de- debatable on whether the main character survives The Descent. But, um, yeah, I, I, I like it when a horror movie has a dark end. You don't, you don't want that all the time. Sometimes the characters have to win, like in Jaws. I wouldn't want no, in well, Brody gets eaten by the shark. That would have been a terrible ending. I like the smile, you son of a, that's way better. But, uh, but when it's done how, well but how often do horror movies really have a happy ending i mean it's true that okay the end of jaws mm-hmm. you know jaws friday the 13th part 4 um where jason is killed by tommy jarvis although well, but debatable even that look by tommy like he's going to go crazy and that was the yeah. original plan um but yeah because you get even if it's the carry final jump scare mm-hmm. uh, you know in in so many movies it's rare that, or even Halloween, where Donald Pleasance looks out the balcony and where's Michael Myers? Mm-hmm. 
right? Yeah. I mean, that's you can't call that a happy ending just because the final person's fight, the survivor, you know, made it to the end. No, yeah, yeah. And and Halloween too. I was about to say earlier, but then I thought Lori is going to be scarred for her entire life, even though Michael was dead in this continuity. Lori is never going to have a normal life after that. So yeah, I I can see that even when it's a perceived happy ending, like even Jaws. A child is dead. The little Kittner boy has been eaten yeah. by a shark. Quint is dead. You can never, there's there's no going back. I mean, the, the, it, it, so I guess no horror ending is a truly happy ending. Um, but, but yeah, I, I do like it when it's fully dark. No apologies. Everything is bad and deal with it. I think that's a really cool stance to take. So I, I think that need, that deserves to be shouted out. The fact that the bad guys win, which is awesome. Uh, I, as a kid, I always yeah. kind of wanted the Empire to win at some point. I was like, maybe Darth Vader should get, should get one over on the Rebels every once in a while. Um, and I guess we got to see that in Rogue One. Anyways, we're getting way off topic. Do you want to yep. talk about the acting? Let's talk about the cast. And I feel like I shouldn't have to ask. And you've already kind of you've already alluded to it. But I'll and I'll do a faux pas for a lawyer because it's a loaded question, which you're not allowed to ask in court. How friggin' awesome is Tony Collette in this movie? Amazing. Oscar worthy, even. Uh, nudge, nudge to the oh. Academy. Can we get a retroactive Oscar nom for, for Tony Collette and win? Um, I think that would be deserved. As I said Do earlier. Do you know how disappointed I was? It was 2017. Yeah. Get Out wins Best Screenplay. Mm -hmm. Shape of Water wins Best Picture. It's looking it's like, on the up and up. It's, it's looking, looking like, on. And yeah. then Hereditary snubbed. 2019, mm. Us and Midsummer snubbed. Yep. Get back in the ghettos, you horror fans. Yep. They, they were like, we gave you a little tidbit. We gave you the crumbs. Now, now go back to your caves. No, we're not going to stand for it. We deserve recognition. Uh, yeah, Tony Collette, amazing performance. I think the highlight of the entire movie in the acting department is the dinner scene where she has that monologue. Um, um, absolutely outstanding acting. And another, whenever she's hysterical, it's, it's just like you can't take your eyes off it. Also, that scene with Peter and her in the double fake-out dream sequence, which I which I did not see coming the first time through, how it was a double fake-out. Um, yeah. But the scene where she's talking about wishing that she had never, that Peter had never been born. She Well, I guess she doesn't wish that, but she originally wished that. Um, and then it ends with the paint thinner being lit on fire. Very disturbing, yeah, but... Um, she steals the show, and I, I say that, but there's not a bad performance in this movie. But she oh, is no. the most classically, like, she's the one you can point to and be like, that is amazing. And while I did say earlier, Gabriel Burns, amazing as Steve, the dad, he's more understated. He's like the rock of the family, or he was the rock, I guess. I can't say that is anymore. I guess yeah. I can't say is about anyone well, in this movie. They're all dead. Well, he's, he's now a charcoal rock. <laughs> he's a piece of coal yeah i guess you could say that um but yeah I, I, there's something oddly comforting about steve it's like he he's you know he's hurting but for the sake of his family he remains that outer composure until that scene in the car where he's taking peter home from school um and and so i like that um but yeah tony collette definitely should have been should have won an oscar for this um and and it's just like I feel like if you showed them that clip, you just said, for a little context, uh, the, the son was driving the car and the daughter died. Here's the scene. And you showed them that, that dinner scene from Hereditary. They would have easily nominated Tony Collette and given her the win. 
But as soon as they uh, know that it's a horror movie and there was a cult aspect to it and there's demon possession, nope, not going to do it. Well, it looks silly. The only reason they gave Shape of Water all those awards is because it was technically a romance drama fantasy. Come on, it's the Gilman. Well, and, and, and it was also a commentary on same-sex marriage and all that kind of stuff, so it was timely. But look, here's the amazing thing about Toni Collette. My respect went up for her while I was talking about to Megan about this earlier. So this morning when I was getting ready to go to church, I was listening to, as all pastors do, the Postmortem Podcast with Mick Garris. Of course. And um, he was interviewing Pat Oswalt, mm-hmm. of all people. Comedian, but huge horror movie fan. Oh, yeah, definitely. So many comedians are. Gilbert Godfrey, huge horror fan. Obviously, Jordan Peele, Key and Peele, both huge horror fans. And, and it's because uh, the pandemic, we have to wait uh, so long for another Jordan Peele movie. But anyway, um, so Pat Oswalt did a movie with Tony Collette. And so Mick Garris asked him, said, you know, so when you started acting, when you moved from stand up and writing to acting, do you, what's your method? Do you go like fully method? Do you stay in character? And and he's like, blankety blank. No, that's the most pretentious. <laughs> but I guess he goes, let me tell you something. He said, one of the first movies I ever did was with Tony Collette. And he said this and he's correct. Who's one of the greatest actresses in the world. And he said, cameras on. She nails the scene, no matter what the emotion is, no matter what, no prep. She just walks on, but boom, and she nails it, and camera goes off. They go cut. She's like, oh, who's up for a spot of tea? <laughs> yep, I can definitely see that, yeah. She just turns it on and off. Amazing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, she's definitely great. What movie was she in with Pat Oswald? I-, I don't remember. I've never seen it. Um the only thing I've ever seen Tony Collette in, other than Little Miss Sunshine, this, Velvet Buzzsaw, Sixth Sense, of course. About a Boy yeah. with Hugh Grant? Uh, I've never seen About a Boy. Really? It's a lot better no. than a TV show, I'll say that much. They've made a no, TV show of it. I have not seen it. I have not seen About a Boy. That's, but... that's definitely not horror, though. But Sixth Sense, and I'll, I'll say this. Aside from Donnie Wahlberg, I think Tony Collette's the best uh, performance in The Sixth Sense. <laughs> Oh, Donnie Wahlberg's amazing in that, what he went yep. through. Just for, how, what, 15 seconds of screen time? 20 at the max. Yeah, he's he's barely in it. Though he is he is a catalyst for the entire movie, I guess you could say. But, uh, yeah, Tony Collette was amazing um, as the mom in, in The Sixth Sense, but but she's barely in it. Again, um, I, I feel like, let's just give her every movie. Every movie that's in production right now, can we just replace a female lead with Tony Collette? Uh, I think in a lot of them you could, yeah. Yeah, because she can play anything. Uh, Patton Oswalt did a movie called Please Stand By, directed Mm -hmm. by Ben Lewin and based on a play starring Dakota Fanning, Tony Collette, Alice E., River Alexander, and Patton Oswalt. Hmm. So there you go. Never seen it, never heard of it, but there you have it. So with Gabriel Byrne, you say you really like his character. I love his character. He's given a pretty limited range, though, right, to work yeah. with here. I th- I think he does have his moments to shine. Like I said, the car scene where he um, picks up Peter and he's taking him home and he's at a green light just crying his eyes out. That, 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 yeah. um, he does have the moments like that. I really like the scene where he's talking with Annie 
and he just saw the body in the attic, and he's like, you were the one that dug that up, weren't you? All those nights where you said you were out. Which, seeing- which from his perspective, is a logical guy, and, yeah. and a guy who's not necessarily governed by emotion, you may even say emotionally reserved, makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't blame him at all, especially with how hysterical and crazy uh, Annie has been acting. So, yeah, he's definitely, you sympathize with him. Even though you know what's actually going on, you can place yourself in his shoes and see that he's, you know, look at it from his perspective. Everyone in the family seems absolutely out of their mind except for him. He probably feels like he's taking crazy pills. But, um, but yeah, uh, it, it works for him. I like how he doesn't quite believe everything that's going on because it makes sense. Where I kind of draw the line is, is that with uh, Peter's school and Charlie's school, they seem like they don't really acknowledge the fact that he just lost his sister and grandma. They don't, which I guess may be accurate to the public school system. I'm not sure. But um, uh, as somebody who was a teenager who, who did see uh, classmates, I, I, I remember losing a classmate who was a buddy, really nice guy, died in a car accident. Unfortunately, teenagers can't act like that because they just don't have the maturity to process their feelings sometimes. Yeah, that sucked. <laughs> I feel like yeah. Peter had no had nobody to turn to because he goes oh, home. Oh, Peter's got no support whatsoever other than weed. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and and you could definitely see why he would be relying on substances given the circumstances. Oh, absolutely. But um, but yeah, and and so that that just really sucks. I think Peter is probably he's the most tragic of them all because he had a a, a big life ahead of him and it's gone now. I mean, there's nothing you could do. And I commend this. There are two child deaths in this movie, and it's taken totally seriously. You don't often see that. But um, yeah. So yeah, Tony Collette, I, amazing. She goes crazy. It's awesome. And Alex Wolf, who plays Peter, I haven't seen him in anything else. I read that he's been he's been in. I mean, he's been in like the Jumanji movies, which I haven't seen. Um, he's done some theater. He's apparently got a band, but I haven't seen him in anything other than this. I thought he was great. What I did really love, and our, maybe our listeners will love as well, is I read he fought for this role because he loves horror movies. Yeah, I believe it. He gives a great performance. And I have seen him in one other thing. It was an episode of a show called Monk. He was in an episode. Do you remember, have you seen uh, Monk? A lot of Monk. Then? I've seen a lot of Monk, but I don't remember him in Monk. Do you remember the episode where Monk and uh, Lieutenant Disher go into the woods for a wilderness retreat with uh, Boy Scouts? No, I haven't seen that one. Oh, okay. Well, Alex Wolf was one of the kids in, in that episode. And I remember watching that episode after I'd seen Hereditary and thinking, this kid is really good. And then I put it together that he was Peter in Hereditary. I had no idea. He looked totally different. But it was him. I looked it up in, into the credits. So, yeah, he's been – I've only seen him in that episode of Monk and this, but he definitely blew me away. And I love to hear that he fought for this role, um, and I love to hear that there are horror fans in Hollywood. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Millie Shapiro as Charlie. Mm-hmm. I thought she was excellent. Very creepy. Very creepy. Oh, and, and you know, I just want to say this. Um uh, I looked up her just, I was reading her Wikipedia page uh, mm-hmm. when I was watching the movie because I'd never looked anything up. She's been acting for a long time. Yeah. Um, and she was 15 years old when she played Charlie. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was born with a birth defect that it's a skeletal disorder where you're, you're basically, you're, you're, as a child, your skeleton does not 
harden up as quickly as it should. And so you get some, uh, I don't want to say deformities, but it, 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 but just some alterations. And so her face looks very unique because of that. And she's also like four foot nine and she'll probably never get any taller than that. Mm-hmm. But I think she gives a great performance and she has been like acting since she was 10 with her sister on Broadway, off Broadway. She did the Charlie Brown Broadway stage play. She's just, you know, I just want to say good for her because yes. you know what? It's, it's hard enough in our culture to not look perfect and for her to have a birth defect that enlarged her cranium and kept her, her, her rest of her body fairly small to be like, Hey, I don't care. I'm, I want to act and just to go for it yeah, and to definitely. get a role like that. And, and she's obviously got talent. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, good on her. And I wish her a long and successful career. Cause I think she's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. And I know she's also famous on TikTok, the social media app, TikTok. She has a really? huge, huge following there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she she's got she's got a lot ahead of her. I'm sure. I everyone in this movie is have got illustrious careers ahead of them. Because how can you watch this movie and not just have it be your acting reel? You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I guarantee that everyone in this movie added a scene or two to their acting reel from it. Because how can you not? Um, yeah, she gave an awesome performance. Charlie not present in a lot of the movie, though she definitely leaves an impact. And her most uh, her most iconic part of her character that tongue click yeah creepiest part of the movie well one of the creepiest parts of the movie it's so instantly creepy because whenever anybody else does it or hears it you know that something's about to go down and i think that's a really a really awesome uh device to use in the script um i i not not really sure why she doesn't carry an EpiPen with her <laughs> charlie oh She's 13 years old. I mean, she could carry a, an EpiPen, you know. She but, seems um, smart enough to know that her parents and her brother are not responsible, and she just ought to swipe that bad boy herself and keep yeah. it in her pocket at all times. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but, but I mean, that's not her fault. <laughs> that's not the, the actor's fault. Um, Do you but, think it would have been better if she had the EpiPen or she, he had the EpiPen or somehow it broke? maybe yeah yeah or maybe they lose it at the party or something they can't find it so they just decide to beeline it to the hospital because that would be quicker than looking all throughout the house for it Ooh, if she lost it if it fell out of her pocket and there was a payment symbol somewhere close by that would have been awesome yeah yeah that 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 could have been cool i i feel like i feel like we get enough hints about the payment cult um, that, that may be oversaturation, but I don't know. I'd love to see it in practice. I'd love to see a cut. Well, I didn't hardly notice it at all when I first watched it though. It's only mm-hmm. after a second time I watched it. I was like, oh, there it is. Up oh, there sure. it is. Oh, there it is. Yeah. 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 I, I would, I would like to see that. I think that's interesting. It does make more sense than this family just never having an EpiPen around when they have a child with severe deadly allergies. Um, which is, and they mention the EpiPen. It's not like the movie just doesn't acknowledge Epi. Like, oh, maybe EpiPens just don't exist in this world. Nope. They they know EpiPens exist. They they yeah. have one, but yeah, I mean, unfortunate. But it sets up one of the best, uh, one of the most traumatizing kills in any horror movie ever. So, um, I guess I'm okay with it, with her not having the EpiPen. But yeah, I, Millie Shapiro or Millie Shapiro, very good in the movie as Charlie. Um, I, I think that one of my favorite parts of the movie that was so real 
is when she's in class and she's taking a quiz, but she's playing with a toy. And the teacher comes over and, and it's like, maybe let's finish the toy after we finish the quiz. When right. I was little, all I wanted when I was in in uh, in middle school and elementary school, I wanted to doodle. I wanted to do anything but quizzes. I could definitely sympathize with Charlie in that in that moment. So that that definitely got me on her side. Uh, it's something I didn't notice the first time around or didn't appreciate. And then when she died, I was like, ooh, it definitely hit me a lot harder. Well, and then there's that when I failed to mention that scene, the bird who the, hits the window, oh, in the yeah. classroom and dies. And then she goes down and at recess and cuts its head off. Gross. Showing that there's already either a premonition or some kind of influence from the payment cult or whatever. Oh, man. And then she and creates she, a toy with a bird yep. head on it. Yep. She makes a little figure with the bird head. And what do we see later in Joan's house whenever Annie is pounding yeah. on the door? The same bird. So yeah. obviously Joan and the cult had something to do with that. Um, yeah, very disturbing. I mean, we even see a cult member in that scene where Charlie has that little bird thing and she's walking out into the field. You see a cult member and a fire out there. So, um, yeah, definitely. Um, great acting. I think even the supporting cast, uh, one of my favorite parts of the movie, uh, is I, I touched on it earlier. Whenever Annie goes to that support group, everybody in that room looks miserable and very like, like, just stunned at, at how much information Annie is pouring out. Um, so they they do even they do a good job. Unnamed support group people. It's just a very well cast movie. The casting director for this really, and I I know that um, the casting director usually fills out the the smaller roles because the director was definitely eyeing some of the the higher ups. I'm sure some of the leading roles. And like like we said earlier, Alex Wolf was was vying for the role of Peter, but. Very well cast. Joan is really good in it. I love the scene where they have the seance with Joan and the little boy, Louie. Um, very creepy with uh, Louie writing on the chalk. Not really sure how that fits into the story. The the Joan with her son and her grandson. Do you think that maybe the son and the grandson dying had something to do with payment? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I wonder how if, that fits if in. She's, if she's telling the truth, yes. But, I, well, I mean, we do see Louie answer, I love you, Grandma. I'm wondering if that's just payment, you know, playing the part, or if Louie really did die, drown, and, and he's now a ghost. Not really sure, um, but if, that's, if that is the case, if her son and grandson really did drown, I'm thinking maybe it had something to do with payment. Um, so that, that's a cool element, another layer to it. So I, everyone's, everyone's good in this, in this movie, even the, the teens at Peter's party. I like the part where he's like, he's like, yo, are you into like smoking at all? Like I have some really good weed. And they're like, there's a bong in the other room. I was like, oh my gosh, that is so classic, emotionless, angsty teenager. Everyone's perfectly cast. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So the cinematography and the editing, again, I feel like I don't need to ask, but go for it. Yeah, the cinematography, it looks great. The opening shot um, is iconic now, I think. The opening shot, the ending shot. I love the use of miniatures and how it's almost like all of this is also taking place in a miniature. It's like this family is so self-contained and their madness that it, it might as well be a, a miniature preserving this, this spot in time. Um I really like what it, the, the camera's very reserved. You don't get many crazy shots. I know we get some, like uh, when Annie is going to visit Joan and the camera starts upside down and then tilts over, sort of reminiscent of that shot in Midsummer when they're entering uh, Sweden. 
they're driving in, it starts upside down and curves upwards. Mm -hmm. um, kind of reminded me of that. I'm wondering if that was a test, a test run for that. But um, it's for the most part, the the camera is used to frame the madness that is happening on screen, rather than the camera move movements itself being like the standout feature of the shot. If that makes any sense, and I think that's always a smart idea. Um, you if you have amazing actors at your disposal and amazing set design, showcase that rather than trying to make up for it with uh, crazy camera moves. The editing as well usually very reserved. There are a few instances where it's flashy and you notice it. Like in the the uh, scene where Annie has just discovered Charlie's body and she's crying on the floor and then it seamlessly cuts to her crying at the cemetery. That's a really good edit. Um, oh, and let me... Did you notice, because Ari Aster is a big David Lynch fan, did you notice the nods to Blue Velvet? David Lynch's Blue Velvet. No, I'm trying to think. Is there an ear somewhere in this movie? <laughs> no, but at the okay at Charlie's funeral, he pans down below the surface. Right. Okay. Yeah. You okay. get that cross section. Okay. I see. And then you, he stops, and then later in Blue Velvet, he pans below the surface, and there are ants. Mm -hmm. You know, like gnawing at each other and all that kind of stuff. Oh. In this. He oh, pans down the below the surface, the and then later you get the ants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can definitely see that, and you can also see that the influences because of just the pacing and the plotting pace and how it kind of builds on it itself with the thrills kind of compounding. Where it seems kind of simple at the beginning, and then by the end, there's so many layers where you're like, "Oh my gosh, I need to sit down and, and write some notes." Um, but yeah, I, I can see that. Um, yeah, editing and cinematography. This is just a really solid movie. This should have been nominated for a, for a lot more than it was. I know that it got some Golden Globes, um, but but it should on. have been nominated for yeah. best picture, best actress. Um, it should have been nominated for best score, best cinematography, best editing. It should have been nominated for best original screenplay. It should have had a lot of nominations. Yeah, I agree. I think I don't I don't know what came out the year that this came out. Um, but I, I do, I do think it would be a contender for best picture. I'm not, and I'm not just jumping on the hype train here. Like every horror fan should like hereditary because I know there are some people who don't, who it's, it's just not their cup of tea. And I respect that. But in my opinion, it definitely should have been nominated for, for best picture at least. And I still think that Tony Collette should have won regardless of what other great, uh, best actress nominations there were that year. This is just a standout role. This is the best I've ever seen her. She's at the top of her game and it was amazing, but we've talked about that. Um, yeah, editing, cinematography, very effective, but not too flashy or distracting. Yeah, and it was, oh, man. Um, looking at the awards that year, Green Book won Best oh, <laughs> Picture. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've heard that movie was overhyped. Uh, it's kind of racist, I think, at times. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right, well. Uh, that's, and Olivia Coleman won Best Actress for The Favorite. Mm. Oh, The Favorite. Actually, that's a good movie. I I don't remember her performance, but that that was a good movie. So maybe maybe she deserved it. I'm not sure, but um, but yeah, Tony Collette at least deserved a, a huge nomination, and I think this should have been nominated for the technical aspects, the cinematography at least for those opening and closing shots. I love the model work and the way that the, the characters are put into the models. Um, kind of reminds me of what 
Aster would go on to do with Midsummer, where the entire thing is foretold in a mural, and then later the right. mural kind of comes to life. He loves doing that with with uh, with like physical things manifesting themselves in reality. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, do you want to move on to the score? I feel like that's yes. something that's worth discussing. It, and, and there is music in, this is two hours and seven minutes. 85 minutes of this movie has score in it. But we've mentioned it before. I love how Ari Aster uses silence, like when Peter awakes at the end. I love that. Talk about the score. You're the musician, so you talk about it. Um, I, I've thought that both Hereditary and Midsummer had fantastic scores. Um, this is a very effective score. You listen to it on, on its own, and it is, it's, it's intimidating just on its own, even without seeing the movie in front of you. Because if you know the context, even more so. It's even more intimidating. But um, the real standout for me is the ending scene with the music that plays as Peter is crowned and they're hailing Payman. That music is so, like, it just sends a chill up my spine. There's something about those dissonant guitar chords that just makes me, like, ugh. It's, it makes me feel uncomfortable, and that's exactly what it was supposed to do. It, it is great. It's very chilling. I will say, overall, I think that as a standalone thing, as like a soundtrack of a movie, just listening to it, Midsummer soundtrack, I prefer. I think. I think it was a little bit creepier. That said, Hereditary soundtrack is, is I think, supposed to be more subtle and more brooding because the movie is just that. It's it's less vibrant. It's more just depressing and subtle and cold. And I think the score was trying to reflect that, whereas Midsummer is very bright and in-your-face and cultish. Therefore, the score would be a little bit more audible, you know what I mean? A little bit more right. present. Um, that said, I do really appreciate the fact that the composer went uh, above and beyond with this, working, I think I read 16-hour oh, yeah. days to deliver this. Kind of reminds me of the effects work on The Thing. You know, doing nothing but that. Uh, and I, I, I definitely respect that. Because usually with movies, if it's a two-hour movie, you're going to have music during the action scenes and you're going to have music during the, the ending and opening scenes. But with this, there are music cues throughout. Um, and I, I really respect It definitely does immerse you a little bit more into this utterly traumatizing story. <laughs> Absolutely. So what else do you want to talk about before we uh, I want to jump into a few bits of trivia before we rate and recommend this thing? Uh, I just want to say, um, Joan, I think, is underrated. She's terrifying. Just knowing how she's manipulating Annie the entire time. Nobody seems to talk about Joan. I have never heard a single person say, Joan's a really interesting character in this movie. Uh, <laughs> She's, a, she's cool. I, I, I like and hate Joan. I especially love the part where Annie is going through the scrapbook of the, the cult activities. And there's Joan and the other cult members dumping gold onto the grandmother's head. I, I kind of want to see a, a, a scene. Just Ari Aster, go and shoot a, a standalone scene of, of the cult partying. I kind of want to see what that's like. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of curious. Um, but yeah, that, that is one thing I wrote in my notes. I'm not sure what was going through my head when I wrote that. I want to see the cult partying. Uh, uh, but, you know, whatever. The places my mind goes to while watching a horror movie. Um, <laughs> I just want to say really quick, um, I, I think that Annie does, it gets too much sympathy. <laughs> I think that at one point she becomes kind of antagonistic, especially towards towards Peter. This guy obviously has PTSD, and you know she pushes him way too far. I think people are all like, "Oh, Tony Collette's great because she's so sympathetic; you really empathize with her." Yes, to a certain extent, but also 
she's she goes off the deep end and i think she should also be seen as a horror villain at the end i think we should all appreciate her as a horror villain performance um well especially in that scene where she's cutting her neck with piano wire which is a really gruesome effect i'm not really sure how they did that um and the main takeaway i just want to leave you with on this movie this is my last note i took on this movie and that note was man this film really has no mercy (laughs) that was my final note for hereditary and i think that is the best way to sum up this movie forget the imdb summary the vague imdb summary if you want to go vaguer and perfectly uh and perfectly represent this movie if you want to sell it to your friend just say this movie has no mercy and they'll instantly understand this is the cobra kai of movies and i think it's perfect Wow. Okay. So just a couple quick things from the IMDb trivia. In Peter's first scene at school, did you notice what was written on the blackboard? Mm, No. Was it like a Halloween reference or something? It was. It said Escape Fate. Yes, it's a Halloween reference. Yes, because Ari Aster is a big John Carpenter fan. I believe it. Yeah, it's definitely, I, I could, it seems like I've seen a lot of horror movies that have done that. If it's a classroom setting, it's either referencing Nightmare on Elm Street or Halloween, yeah. um, which, which makes sense. Those are great scenes. Um, I, did, I did remember them saying something about fate. Uh, the girl that, that Peter's eyeing, who he later talks to at the party, answers and is like, it's like literally fate. Like, it's like so like literally, you know, that, that part. So I do remember them saying something about fate. And that is definitely a callback to Halloween, which is really interesting. Yep, it was. And so... So this movie was made for $10 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made $80 million worldwide. So mm-hmm. it was a big hit. Um, do you know what the audience score on a scale from A to F was? Mm. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to say A. D plus. What? Really? The they knew audience, this was a horror movie, right? Audience score was a D plus. Oh. This is despite the fact it has an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, D+. That's depressing. Society, man. Society. We, we got to escape uh, it. Let's, all, all of us horror fans, let's go and have a giant, never-ending horror convention and just leave all these normies well, behind. Let's just talk about the fact that Unfriended can make a crapload of money or Truth or Dare can make a crapload of money. But movies like The Invitation and Bone Tomahawk barely make anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's a crime. I think that should be a crime. I think if a movie is, is as, as important to the horror genre as something like Hereditary or, or Bone Tomahawk, I think we should just make it mandatory now that you have to see it if you can. If, if you are not <laughs> physically prevented from seeing it. You're going to see it. <laughs> Take some yeah. time off work, you know, whatever. Be scarred. Let, let Tomahawk make you never want to go near a Tomahawk again. Um, yeah. Or do the splits. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. So <laughs> what is your rating and recommendation for Hereditary? Just really quickly, I want to say, I can't, I don't want to call, I don't like calling a movie perfect. Okay. I feel like that's kind of cheesy because if you weren't as invested I, in the movie. I don't think there is such thing as a perfect right. Movie. Right. Yeah. And there are people who say there are there. I've heard people say, oh, Rosemary's Baby is perfect. And I'm like, really? I mean, it's a great movie, but no movie is perfect. There is no, no movie is perfect. Movie. Yeah. And if I wasn't as invested in the story of this one, I'm sure I could find some flaw. Um, 
But I, maybe the only flaw I can think of is that they kill off the dog. We see Rexy, his body at the end, whenever uh, Peter's walking by. That kind of peeves me because I hate to see animals uh, die. But I guess it wouldn't have made any sense for him to survive the movie. Um, when I'm reaching that far <laughs> to find a flaw with a movie, I don't think I have any other choice than to give it a 10 out of 10. I think this is a 10 out of 10. One of the best, I think it was my favorite movie of 2018. Did, did, I, I'll have to go back and check out our, our top 10, our very I first episode. I believe it was. I believe it was. I believe you and I both had this at the top of our list for 2018, yeah. And it deserves it. And and just to give you an idea, I'm not just jumping on the hype train, right? There, there have been movies this year that have come out that everybody's like, these are the best movies of all. This, this is life-changing. And I've seen it, and I've been like, meh. You know, I, I had some problems with it. So this yeah. is not just saying, oh, Hereditary, Tony Collette is so good. I'm, I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10 for that. This is truly a well-made, put-together film. This isn't a slog. If you enjoy horror, this is a must-see. I agree. Um, and in fact, Ari Aster's sophomore effort was both in our top 10 for 2019. Um, That's right. And, and I, that one's a little bit more divisive, I would say, for sure. Uh, it's a little bit more explicit, maybe. Uh, um, yes. But but I, I definitely think that so far, out of everything I've seen, and I've seen the short films, I've seen both of those feature films, I would say this is his crowning achievement. Yeah. So I give it a 10 out of 10. I call it a must-watch. I don't own it um, because I never thought I'd watch it again. I thought I would just appreciate it. And so Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I, I, I always feel cheesy saying, go buy this movie if I if I don't actually own it. And I don't own it. I streamed it today on Prime. And um, yeah, I, I thought seeing it once was going to be enough too. Um, because I, I really did not. It's, it's, it's not something that you want to go back and be like, Let, let's just have a movie night. Let's see a hereditary. <laughs> it's not going right. to be one that you just pop in to watch with popcorn. But um, yeah, this this is an event movie. If you if you really want to experience a a day in the life of one of the worst lives there is to live, yeah. then pop in Hereditary. I, I definitely recommend it. If you haven't seen it, streaming on Prime. I mean, you can set it up on your TV, check it out, um, or rent it. You know, whatever works for you. I, I definitely think if you haven't seen it, you've been holding back on it, and you think you can take it, go for it. It's worth it. I agree. So. Folks, we appreciate all of our listeners. We especially appreciate our Patreon supporters. And you can become one for as little as $2.50 a month. And you go to patreon.com, search Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. You can choose content, listen to exclusive bonus episodes, and even be on the show if you wish. So, And you can find more of our stuff over at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com. We also have a Twitter page, at fathersonhorror. And we have a closed Facebook page and an Instagram page. Where else can they find you online, buddy? On Twitter, you can find me at Kane underscore Hero 12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero 12. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at Kane Hero. That's one word. Uh, also, check out Father and Son Watch Horror Movies on YouTube. I'm not sure if you said that already. But I have a video oh, yeah. upcoming on the YouTube channel, uh, a Frankenstein, Universal Frankenstein series review. I'm reviewing the first four Frankenstein Universal uh, movies and ranking and, and ordering them, you know, all that good stuff after seeing them this week. So check that out. It, it'll be up first on Patreon. I'm going to release it earlier there, but it will be on the YouTube channel for all you that are subscribed. So definitely check that out. Absolutely. And you're working on a short film right now. That is right. I, I started production on a short film last night. That'll be up on Patreon when it's completed. And I'm having a lot of fun with it. Like I said, I, I shot for, for quite a while and only got two shots. But hey, I mean, that's that. it's a labor of love. 
Well, you're another Stanley Kubrick. So, um, I am that's, on... that's what I'm aspiring to be with this crappy short film. <laughs> I am on Twitter at Pastor Matt R, and I'm also on Letterboxd. Folks, tune in next time with our special guest, Jay Wall from Jay vs. Horror for Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. So, Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, and remember, no matter how awkward the Thanksgiving may be for you, if your family's any less dysfunctional than this one, then you're probably doing something right. You're doing fine. So, see you next time, folks. Remember, the family that watches horror together slays together. See ya.